having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Six o'clock squirrel with Nick Cater and Tim Blair. Tim's been on a fact-finding tour to the Hunter Valley, checking out the electoral fortunes of both parties and the independents. Tim, we'll hear about your experience getting chucked out of a pub, not for the first time, but possibly for the first time in your professional <laughs> capacity as a journalist. <laughs> Things are pretty hostile up there, but let, let, let's, let's break away from the parochial concerns of the future of Australia and the election which is coming up on Saturday week and uh, turn to the United States where um, the Democrats refuse to admit that they're on a loser. Tim, they, they seem to be going on the tack all the time that the answer to their woes is attacking Donald Trump and his slogan, uh, MAGA. If you're MAGA now, you're bad, right? MAGA represents everything that's bad in Democrat eyes. Are they aware that Donald Trump isn't running in the midterms in November? It seems an unusual attack. I've, I mean, I've heard Biden saying various crazy things and yelling, and I think you've got a clip we'll play later on, but he, he, he kept elevating it. But, you know, by the end of the week, he was referring to uh, the Republicans and their giant MAGA king, which, has, as more than, more than one observer has noted, actually makes him sound cooler. I mean, it doesn't really work, does it? But, like, no. it's, it's, it's make America great again. From, from the instant it was coined, this phrase should have been utterly inoffensive. It's it's a it's a it's a motherhood statement. Although I guess, you know, to be fair, motherhood is offensive now you know, to to a lot of people. It's a, yeah. it's a strange turn of events. But the the whole MAGA uh, hatred is a peculiar one, and especially given that you know Trump isn't a isn't a a candidate. Although obviously he's a you know he's a player. But to make that the the your only sort of thing to go on on our midterms or your strongest element, what the what the hell? I never expected the ultra MAGA Republicans who seem to control the Republican Party now to have been able to control the Republican Party. Americans have a choice right now between two paths reflecting two very different sets of values. My plan attacks inflation and grows the economy. The other path is the ultra MAGA plan. Ultra MAGA, Tim, is, it sounds something like a, a washing powder or a special new brand of Coke. Not just ordinary Coke, but ultra Coke. <laughs> or, or, a, or a sort of a, a, a British soccer gang. Yes. Might be, yeah, that, that's, you know, there were, weren't there the ultra boys at one point in, in Britain or something like that? But uh, it, it doesn't sound uncool. It sounds, uh, it sounds uh, something like a lot of people would get behind. And they did, and do, by the way. So uh, whatever Biden's uh, team is trying to work out here. I mean, they're throwing everything around. They're, uh, they don't have much, though, to run in terms of their own record because now they've got food shortages, my friend. Food shortages. They've got baby formula shortages in the US. This is not uh, a great sort of thing to run on when you've got midterms just a few months away. Yeah, well, there's an explanation of sorts, an explanation of sorts from Jen Psaki, the White House press spokesperson. 
And this is it. But it's not just putting at risk a woman's right to make choices about her own health care. It is also, as you heard him talk about this morning, Rick Scott's extreme plan that will raise taxes on 75 million Americans making less than $100,000 a year. And it's also the obsession with culture wars and wars against Mickey Mouse and banning books. The president thinks that's extreme. That is not what the American people care about or what they want. And so to him, adding a little ultra to it, give it a little extra pop. Yes, an extra bit of zip, uh, Tim. Um. <laughs> I like the way Disney goes ultra-woke. Ultra, there's that word again. Disney goes ultra-woke, and then Republicans respond to that, or conservatives more broadly respond to that by being critical of the Disney organisation. Now, what Disney's trying to do is introduce various LGBTQ+, plus, etc. elements to the Disney experience. This is something that a lot of reasonable people might find is worth challenging. Yes. It's, uh, is, it's worth fighting back against. So you're not fighting the notion of Mickey Mouse. And if you are, you're fighting a Mickey Mouse that's very different from the one of the old Mickey Mouse Club days. You're fighting, you're fighting a woke Mickey, a kind of a, uh, a leftist golem Mickey who's changed somewhat since, uh, since the days of Steamboat Willie and such. Aren't we? It's it's a different character. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That that once again, it is it is the right that has apparently started the culture wars. I mean, we're well, but not this the is always this is this has long been a pattern, though, Nick, and you've seen it a lot, especially in, in in coverage of U.S. politics. When Republicans are perceived to be in error, the Republican error is the story. When Democrats stuff up. The Republican response is the story, and a lot of people online keep um, uh, they follow very closely. Pouncing, you'll you'll have the word pounce in the headline. Republicans pounce as Democrats decide that abortion is now legal up to ten years of age. You'll have things like that. So uh, the Republican pouncing is you're going to be seeing a lot of pouncing right up to and possibly beyond November. Well, uh, as you say, and as as was hinted at in both those clips. The Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court, which hasn't actually been made yet, incidentally, but it's been um, a leaked draft has uh, sent the Democrats into absolute fury. They reckon this is the the issue that's going to win them the next election, abortion. They think that uh, the whole country is going to turn in outrage at this Conservative Court's decision. Uh, I know, number one, I don't think that's particularly credible, Tim. I don't see this is going to be the kind of issue that's going to get. No the average American out. Um, but their arguments are so weak on the topic. They, they just can't seem to mount a proper, strong argument on this. I mean, after all, it won't stop abortion, will it, in, in America? It just means no. it comes down to the decision by the states, which is quite reasonable. I like how they're saying that men on the Supreme Court now shouldn't have anything to say on the issue of abortion, when it was, of course, an all-male Supreme Court that voted for Roe versus Wade in the first place. <laughs> it's, uh, they were quite happy for it when the decision went their way back in the day, but not so much now. They, and they have entirely ignored, as you said, a federal overturning Roe v Wade at a federal level merely returns the right to decide on abortion laws to the states. As well, you've got a, a massive Democrat push to extend... Uh, legitimate or permitted abortion periods right up to the moment of birth. Possibly beyond. Possibly beyond. Well, in the case of some kids, yeah, I get that. But, you know, uh, 
you know, when you've got a, a 50th trimester abortion, it might, might kick in. But when you're pushing it beyond the first trimester, the numbers fall off in terms of abortion support by every trimester until you're at, you know, the crowning point of birth. Uh, there's very low support for abortion then. But some of you more extreme Democrats and abortion activists are pushing for this. Now, that's not a vote-winning platform across most of the United States, across most of the Western world. It's a, it's a very perverse, uh, perverse argument to push, but they think it's a winner. Yeah, and of course, abortion is actually becoming less popular with the uh, development of ultrasound. I mean, it's just recent in the last... 10 to 20 years, you can now Ooh. see the baby much more clearly in the womb and, and that has led to a change of view of a lot of people on when life starts. It's not a theoretical sort of thing, is it? It's not, it's not a life that may possibly be happening. You can actually observe it being mm. a life. But the, but the left seems to seize on any argument and any occasion to make a fuss. This was, I thought, really strange that the left-wing TikTok activists started to organise a Mother's Day strike. They called for its supporters to cease all economic activity in response to a leaked draft of the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. Hayley Mills, a pro-choice advocate who joined the Mother's Day strike in Utah, said, I think that Mother's Day is just the perfect day to support that message to support women who want to be mothers in the future and don't want to be mothers now, those who are already mothers and don't want future children, or women who just don't see motherhood in their future. Abortion on Mother's Day, it doesn't really go together in my book. I mean, it's about abortion is about not being a mother, surely. I would have thought that's pretty much a definition, but, uh, but I'm surprised at their insensitivity to be even using the phrase Mother's Day. I mean, in Sydney recently, we had various kindergartens and preschools marking Mother's Day with Parents' Day because Mother's Day is trans-exclusive. Mm. So I'd, I'd advise Hayley Mills. Great name, by the way. It is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fans of old but, movies might, uh, might, uh, might look up that title or look up that name. But remember how we used to talk about motherhood statements, Nick? Not anymore. I hope you don't use that. Well, if you delivered a very ordinary kind of speech full of platitudes, if a politician did that, we'd be dismissive of that person as just saying, you know, just using motherhood statements. But now a motherhood statement is a toxic statement that will get you into arguments and fights. It'll, it'll set off the woke again. So even motherhood statements are now controversial. I've got a, a, a future quadrant column on this. It's, uh, this has all happened so rapidly, Nick. It's, uh, this, these changes are so stupid and so fast that uh, it's, uh, it's impossible to keep up with them. Words, of course... The tw or the twisting of words has become the hallmark of modern left's arguments. Republican Congressman Hakeem Jeffries described this. Have a listen to this grab. The stakes are really high. Uh, we're talking about a struggle between liberty and tyranny, a struggle between a woman's freedom to make her own health care decisions and government-mandated pregnancies, even in the case of rape or incest. That is extreme, it's radical, it's dangerous, and it must be stopped. I always thought um, there are other people involved in making the decision of, over pregnancy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the government can mandate that you get pregnant, can they? I, I, I missed something. Well, they can certainly, well, in some countries, they can mandate 
outcomes of pregnancies. Hello, China. But in terms of the actual creation of a child, I would have thought that there's no real third party involved beyond the two people mm. involved. It's a government-mandated pregnancy. Uh, well, there's a way you can avoid that if you're, if you're not a fan of government involvement in pregnancy. It's called contra- contraception. It's been around for a while, Matt. It's been around for you know, many centuries in various forms. And uh, if people aren't aware of it now, well, bad luck for you. You can have a government baby. And I, I guarantee you, most of the people who worry about government-mandated pregnancies won't be refusing government child welfare, will they? No. I, 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 I mean, Anthony Albanese is a great believer in the power of government, right? He says he's a believer in the power of government to change people's lives. Well, it can do that. Uh, but I don't think he means in this way. In fact, I think no. when he says change, he believes in power of government to change people's lives, he believes in a good way. Mm. I mean, I don't think you and I would disagree with the government's power. The government does have the power to change people's lives, except usually it changes it in a bad way. It's just what governments do. Yes. Uh, well, we might get, we might very well get a chance to observe Mr Albanese's kind and good acting government within a few weeks, Nick. Let's see what happens. Or within a week, indeed. It's an outside possibility, isn't it? That he may be Prime Minister. Well, look, in... According to the polls, it's, uh, it's the possibility. It's the major one. So let's see what, uh, what occurs. Mm, that's why I say it's an outside possibility, Tim. You, you remember last time... <laughs> yes, exactly. Remember last time, on the Thursday before the election, the, 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 the bookies paid out on a Labour win. Two days yeah. later, Labour lost. I know there's a there's a lot that's changed and a lot more impetus this time in favour of Labour. Well, maybe there's not. You can tell me. You've been out there talking to people in the field, but um, I I just don't trust the polls. I just do not. It just doesn't. I don't because I, I don't think people a are telling pollsters the truth, and also there's a lot of don't knows in there, aren't there? So. Like twenty, thirty percent in some cases. In, in, in the case yeah. of one poll, I think the don't know has increased during the campaign. Really, but I think I don't, I, I don't think most of those are real don't knows. I think there are people who just say none of your damn business. I'm not telling you when it, when the, when the polls to contact. I heard a bit of that up in the Hunter Valley, by the way. Well, come on, let's let's hear about it. I mean, for people not familiar with Australian politics, uh, you travelled two hundred kilometres north of Sydney, two hundred, three hundred, some whatever. The Hunter Valley is a massively coal-rich area. It brings in probably three-quarters of a million dollars per year in coal royalties for New South Wales alone. It's a major uh, power source for Australia, has been for uh, generations, and a major source of export earnings. It's a terrific thing, Mm. and the people up there work hard, are paid well, and live large. It's a, it's an impressive place. People up there refer to their houses as uh, coal castles. <laughs> they're not McMansions, they're coal castles, and they're very proud of it. I met one woman who's a, the daughter of a coal miner. She's just a coal miner's daughter. She, uh, she's planning her next tattoo, a tattoo on her arm, and uh, she's, uh, she wants to get a tattoo of a, a caterpillar ground scraper, which is, uh, for me, is... is I'm not a huge fan of tattoos, but I'd, I'd take my hat off to that one. It sounds brilliant. She's already got the uh, the landscape marked out on the on the right arm. I think no, no, sorry, left arm. And she's uh, yeah, she's planting that that uh, a beautiful caterpillar grader scraper device. Grader scraper. That's a, that's basically a large tractor, isn't it? Which is a, as we know. Yeah, but it's got a specific role. It's like you know, it's got this 
sort of uh, road flattening sort of aspect to it, I suppose. I don't know much about your Caterpillar devices beyond their marvellous bulldozers, but it mm. is not a small machine. Uh, I think her dad used to drive one back in the day. So there's huge affection for the coal industry in uh, in Newcastle. Um, I encountered a, a, a bloke called Wayne, very aggressive old school Labor guy, mm. very supportive of uh, the Labor Party throughout his entire working life. He worked for 27 and a half years, he told me, in the coal mines. His dad died in, in a coal mine. Mm. And coal mines kept his family together, they kept the community together. So I asked him beyond that point what his feelings were about the modern Labor Party's attitude towards coal, which at the very least is ambivalent. I mean, it depends on where Albo is in, in a coal electorate or in a woke electorate, uh, mm. what, his, uh, mm. what his view is on coal. But I asked Wayne about his views on the modern Labor Party and uh, how they're sometimes hostile to coal. And he, he stopped and he gave it a moment or two of plainly very painful thought and then said, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely torn. I'm torn. On the one hand, you know, he, he acknowledges, you know, they're talking about the climate and all this sort of stuff and climate change, but, you know, who is he, he wanted to deny people the chance to earn a great living working in the mines. I mean, the average mining wage now is pushing up towards $150,000 a year. It's very lucrative. The local mm. Labor candidate in the seat of Patterson, or the local, the sitting member in the seat of Patterson, uh, I met uh, one of her campaign workers, and uh, the campaign worker's sister drove trucks for the mines, and she was asking her sister, you know, do you know anyone who wants a job? We're hiring. We're, we've got tons of work out here. This is really big. I think sometimes people are given the impression that coal is shrinking, that it's uh, it's becoming a, a minimal influence on power generation and exports because people just want to talk down coal all the time. It's, it's simply not the case. In the early 2000s, coal was generating around $250 million a year in royalties for New South Wales. A couple of years ago, it was up to more than a billion. It's, it hasn't got smaller, and the industry hasn't got smaller. And this year it'll be even bigger because... You know, thanks to Vladimir Putin, I suppose the, the cost of the global cost of coal has skyrocketed. I think it's yeah. now around about three hundred and fifty US a ton. Exactly, and everyone in the hunter knows the per yeah. Everyone in the hunter knows the per ton price. Yeah, and 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 Newcastle, the port where that coal gets, yeah, that port, the Newcastle, the port where that coal goes to, is the largest coal handling port in the world i mean mm. it is coal it is about i know we get some nice wines from the hunter valley but, mm-hmm. but coal is what makes and the for money. the same reason a coal coal rich uh, earth it's the same reason we get uh, great racehorses yeah. and uh, great great wine the earth is coal rich and, uh, and and yields a great deal to humankind funnily enough you never see that on the side of the bottle do you, you don't you never see sort of a lovely carboniferous base with a hint of charcoal that never kind of rises in the definition of a, a wine, does it? We, we get my, my new friends, uh, you know, they should be a Caterpillar Shiraz or something like that. Because Labour is doing its damnedest to lose the seat of Hunter, which has been in Labour hands since 1910, would you believe? Uh, mm. And, and that I, I think at this stage it's, there's an outside chance they might lose it to the Nationals or possibly the Independent, you can tell me. But, the, the, you know, the idea of putting a carbon tax tax on coal mines seems to me designed to lose those seats. I guess they're 
cold seats must be a bit of an embarrassment to Labour now and it wants to shake them off. Which is a pity, Tim, because I like the cut of the jib of Dam Repercholi, who's their candidate in, in Hunter. He's the sort of guy they need in the party room, you know, a genuine working-class tradie. He's a five-time Olympian and Commonwealth gold medalist. That's what his um, Labour Party website says, five-time Olympian. But what they don't say, he's a five-time Olympian as a pistol shooter. They seem to want to leave that bit out. But, <laughs> but I, I, please, I don't know if you went to the Cessnock Hall of Fame when you were up there, but I gather he's recognised in there. He's been uh, inducted into the Cessnock Hall of Fame. He's a qualified fitter and turner. He's worked in coal mines. He's managed a medium-sized business. And he's a bit of a larrikin, which I, I don't know about you, but that counts in his favour. I, I think the pornographic social media posts were probably... Not his best idea, but uh, hey, hey, Timmy's apologised. So yeah, that was that was some time ago. That was some yes. time ago. You make yes. the point about shooting, though. Like people, people are very leery about guns and shooting in Australia. Remember a, a few Olympics ago, a couple of Australian swimmers got in trouble. Must have been, I think, it was a, an Olympics in Los Angeles or something. But um, a uh, couple of swimmers turned up pre-Olympics in a gun shop. And they posed with a couple of rifles. And this created a media scandal. People were outraged. You know, Our Australian swimmers shouldn't be posing with guns. It sends a terrible message. Guns are bad. Guns are the worst thing. And these Australian swimmers, you know, doing these sort of, you know, Rambo-style poses with various rifles and firearms, it seems that everyone forgot that we'd actually sent a shooting team to the same Olympics. They weren't too worried about that. It's like... Would there have been a similar controversy if the members of our shooting squad showed up at a swimming pool and begun doing diving poses? <laughs> it was a strange thing when everyone forgets that we're one of the most successful um, in the Olympics, uh, one of the most successful nations with our shooters. We've had some terrific ones. Michael Diamond was uh, was a particular star in the uh, I think '96. So yeah, we've had a we've had a few terrific pistol and uh, firearm men. So what do you reckon, Tim? Tell me about your experience up there. What, call it. Do you think that the seat of Hunter is going to change hands after, what, 112 years? Oh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't bet that uh, a seat with that history is going to change. But what we will see is uh, a huge increase in the independent primary vote. So mm. many people. And a lot of people backing Palmer, the Palmer candidate. Uh, mm. But more because of Clive. They don't really mention the local candidate in that case. They're more just like all the way with UAP. Um, not too long ago, seats like the Hunter were very straight divides. They were Labor coalition, that was it. And obviously with Labor, uh, you know, stomping things. Mm. But the amount of people talking about uh, the Indies and the smaller parties, you know, One Nation, uh, Clive, uh, the Lib Dems, but yeah, the Palmer people have a lot of uh, a lot of ground support by the looks of things, and uh, it will be fascinating to look at the primary numbers and also at the um, the preference flows. That's going to be intriguing. I think so. It's interesting. I mean, all the attention's been on this wild claim he's made that he's going to keep mortgage rates as a maximum of three percent, which is something. I mean, if, if he had any chance of doing that, I'd probably consider voting for him. But but <laughs> of course he can't. But Funnily enough, I ran into him last Saturday, actually, Tim, in Mossman, would you believe? Who's this? Who did we run into? Clyde Palmer in Mossman. Oh, okay. On the leafy North Shore. There he was in the seat of Warringah. So I was up there with uh, Catherine Deves, a very respectable 
Liberal candidate who believes mm-hmm. that women should be defined by biological terms, not identity, mm-hmm. which is all good. And mm-hmm. there was the usual sort of settled nisters there in their teal shirts, but they were all outnumbered by Clive, who was holding a rally up there in his big yellow army. In Warringah. In Warringah. Well, and do you know what the big issue was? COVID. Hmm. Vaccine mandates. We spoke to a number of people on the fringes of the Palmer Group who'd lost their jobs because of vaccine mandates and thought they should be they should be free to choose whether to take the vaccine or not. I don't think it's a huge percentage of the vote, but by definition, I mean, only, what, 5% of people didn't hmm. take the vaccine. But every vote counts. Even every leper's vote counts in this election. You know, I think it's a factor. I met a couple of... Um people working in the aged care sector in the oh, Hunter yeah. Valley who are expecting to be fired within a few weeks because they won't take their booster shots. Mm. They're disinclined to take the boosters. They've done everything they've been asked so far. But the boosters, no. Mm. And as a result, uh, in if you're working in aged care, apparently that's a deal breaker, which seems cruel. Pretty rough. And uh, both those people are uh, uh, not voting for either of the major parties. The, the hostility towards the major parties was a real thing that came across. Even bedrock Labor fans, lifelong Labor supporters, were very, very concerned about attitudes towards coal. Uh, one, one bloke, former, I think it might have been a former service station manager, uh, but lifelong Labor, he simply said that if uh, the coal, if the coal industry is wound up in the Hunter, both his son and his daughter will have to leave. Hmm. They'll have to find somewhere else to live and work, and that goes for so much of the Hunter Valley. It's a, uh, it is the big and and basically solitary issue for the area, and jobs depend on this. I mean, in the cities, you have coal and and Fossil fuel industry is presented as very much a remote thing or a theoretical thing, a theoretical issue. But when your job directly depends on it or indirectly depends on it, it's it's incredibly real. And this is this is I hate using the word these days; it gets overused. This is an ex- existential issue. Nick, it would be for people living in the mm. Hunter Valley mm. and, uh, and and surrounds. But good on you for going out there, Tim. I mean, oh, it's, it's I, my pleasure. I love going out there, except for getting chucked out of a pub. That was fun. What happened? I wandered into one of the many ho- many fine hotels in the area. Sat down with our photographer, uh, having a chat to a couple of friendly locals. And uh, the manager or owner of the pub intervened. He was very angry and said, you know, your media, get out. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't realise what we'd done anything wrong. As far as I'm, uh, as I'm aware, Nick, you don't need to receive permission from a from the owner of a pub to have a chat to patrons in a pub, otherwise just simple negotiations between ordinary people from one table to another, just introducing yourself to someone for a chat, would that require you know approval? I didn't think so. There was no hostility or anger, there was no, no, no issues with the customers. They were enjoying having a chat, and they were terrific to have a chat with. But the owner was insisting that we leave, so we did. We went out to the car park, or sorry, the uh, beer garden, just to get a couple of quick photographs of uh, our friends. But this wasn't enough, and we were ordered once again by an angrier owner 
that we we must get out. And uh, I look a bit of sympathy for this guy. I found out later on that he'd been the target of local media because mm. he'd been stitched up over some kind of COVID controversy. He might have um, uh, allowed people to drink without wearing a mask or something a few months ago. So he now hates all media. Fair enough, but you know, in in that in that particular debate, I would have been on his side. But he wasn't to know that. And uh, it's always a healthy reminder to media that we're not viewed by title or by um, by publication or by uh, whoever owns our organisation. We're viewed as a, as a mass and a group rather than as individual entities. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of antagonism towards the media. They see us as part of the the bubble. Um, I mean, it's not unusual for journalists to get out of, thrown out of pubs, of course, but to be thrown out of them sober... I wasn't even, yeah, I didn't have a drink, man. I, I, what a rip. I can't even I, I can't even brag about it, you know. I recall one of our former colleagues, who shall remain nameless, but she got a gig at Channel 9 and thought she was a bit, you know, well-known and a bit famous and mm. at the end of a long night. Yeah. She was refused service in the, um, in the pub around the corner from News Limited. Hmm. And uh, she made that fatal mistake of saying, excuse me, don't you know who I am? <laughs> to which the guy behind the bar replied, yeah, you're just another drunk journo, get out. <laughs> <laughs> now, my, my usual, I've, obviously, I, I've never been in any circumstance where I could ever use the line, don't you know who I am? But you know, my response is, you, or my, the, my, uh, my phrase is usually, oh, you know who I am? <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm usually <laughs> stunned. And for good reason. It doesn't happen very often, people. Uh, I, I people love it. Like it, it. It's just nobody can use that line in Australia and be taken seriously. You, no, it's you're a, gone. It's, it's just one of the great egalitarian things about this country. Hmm. Right, we're a week out from the election, Tim. I suppose... Under normal circumstances, we should both call the result. I'm not prepared to do so. I just really don't know. But I do get that very strong impression that people don't like the major parties. We did. We saw some polling this week uh, where they'd gone out to ask people, are you worried about a hung parliament? You know, do, do you think that a hung parliament will lead mm. to, uh, you know, confusion and chaos and, and uh, lack of activity? Uh, and guess what? 55% of Australian voters, a clear majority, said no, they wanted a hung parliament. That is surprising. 30% of coalition voters said they wanted a hung parliament. So, so they, want, they want the coalition in charge, presumably, but they want them in minority, having to go cap in hand to independence to, to get a vote through parliament. That's a huge, a very high degree of lack of trust, isn't it? That's what it says to me. Lack of trust. We don't trust you yes. in there. We want to put some restrictions on you. Um, very, very hard issue to campaign for, though. I mean, how do you engineer? <laughs> how do you? How do you? You can get out there and say, "Get behind me. I'm your Labor candidate. Vote for me." Or you can go, "I'm with the coalition. Scomo's, you know, he's got it under control. Vote, vote coalition. Vote for the Liberal and National parties." But how do you yeah. say? I'm with a hung parliament. Make sure your family divides their votes between the majors, the minors. Uh, make sure you've got a cascading preference that's going to deliver this and that. That's uh, And it all falls apart. You know, let's say you achieve a hung parliament. It's like, yay, we won the hung parliament. And then a, an MP up and resigns or dies and suddenly you've, you've got a, a majority potentially. Fraught with risk. It's a coin toss. 
And it might might happen. It'd be interesting if it did. Should, shouldn't we have a box on the paper that just says, bugger the lot of you? <laughs> no, 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 just hung. And then, they, hung. and then then they can all adjust. Or they might take it more literally. I, I did hear a few people in the in the Hunter Valley calling for, uh, uh, well, let's use a delicate euphemism for what they wanted to do to the politicians. They wanted they they wanted to give them let's say suspended sentences involving a rope. <laughs> well, let's see how it all comes out, and then we'll we'll make wise comments afterwards as if we knew what was going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> I knew. Oh yes, of course, as we predicted, as we predicted. So obvious. Obvious, yeah. Prime Minister Clive Palmer, a shock, not to us. <laughs> <laughs> we called it, but mate, I want to I want to hear about your adventures on the road. Specifically, well, your, my bits uh, of the road. We 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 got more politics to talk about. I want to wrap up on British politics and Sri Lankan yeah. politics, which is getting yes. uh, pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, I'm in, I'm 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 uh, I'm in the town of Achuka, Tim. You know, mm. did you know Achuka was the third most popular tourist destination in in the state of Victoria? I, I did not know, but it does not surprise. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that because it's home to the Holden Museum. Holden is a museum, Nick. Holden, Holden, Holden. Yeah, for younger readers, we should explain that Holden used to be an Australian-built car. Before You're talking Holden. to very young readers, like two years old, but yeah, <laughs> or, or listeners rather. Yeah, uh, I, I remember going there before and thinking, what a triumph! You know, Australian engineering, um, and they were good. You know, they were they were yeah. they were good cars in their day. But it's got a slightly, I don't know, sad ring to it now. Holden is no longer producing cars in Australia. In fact, I don't think the brand is alive even, is it? No, no, it's gone. Yep doesn't exist and the cars which i first marveled at suddenly look pretty shoddy <laughs> but there's one really good test with uh with build quality for cars and uh and that's panel gap you know the gaps between say you know a guard and a door or a roof and a boot line where the panels you know they're, they're not continuous and there's a gap mm. uh, you're looking for consistency and narrowness when you when this is this is a fun exercise for listeners. When next you happen upon a nineteen seventies Holden, Ford, or Chrysler, have a look at those panel gaps. <laughs> they're, they're panel canyons in a lot of cases. They are incredibly inconsistent. They're 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 woeful. And then compare that. You know, I'm assuming our listeners own relatively modern vehicles. Compare the the almost non-existent panel gaps in your own modern vehicle with those epic. <laughs> golf-like, monstrous, finger-swallowing panel gaps that also are different across the width of the panel. And, uh, and you would have seen that in the Tuca. No, uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great quick way to judge build quality. We were slapping those cars together without a great deal of um, attention to detail, let's say. My first Australian car when I came here was a VJ Holden. I wanted a Holden. I had to have a Holden when I came here and got a VJ about four years old I was very disappointed to see it wasn't in the museum not not just my car wasn't there I mean it, mm. the, 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 it was there was not an example of a VJ Holden Commodore there they went straight from the VH to the VL and missed out the VJ well, possibly because they'd heard about your ownership they didn't want to you know promote <laughs> Nick Cater well it was <laughs> the like... only car I've ever had that had a, had its own fish tank it, it had the, fr- the front headlight <laughs> used to leak. You could have you could have kept goldfish in there. It was a little bowl. <laughs> that would have been very seventies, wouldn't it? 
Yeah. But anyway, uh, the reason I'm driving up here, Tim, is because I picked up a new car. Well, not a new car. Yes. 22-year-old Mercedes CLK 320. What a beautiful car it is. It just It's the old Mercedes, you know, just yeah. hums along and solid and reliable. And a real engine, none of that aspirated nonsense. You know, it's a normally, yeah, asp- sorry, that, yeah. a normally aspirated ne- engine, none of that sort of turbo turbocharged screaming Electronic nonsense. hybrid gibberish, yeah. No, good oh, well, it's only 22 years old, so you're probably still in, under warranty. <laughs> uh, they, they weren't. They were really genuinely built to last. Uh, your older Mercs, so um, well, well chosen. And uh, and again, do your pa- do your paddle gap check, and uh, you'll see what uh, what kind of quality they were they were shoving out of uh, Mercedes plants back in the day. So Boris Johnson's in trouble. There's talk that he's now on an unstoppable slide down the banisters and straight out of the door of number 10 very shortly. Uh, last week, his party took a hammering the local government elections. And, of course, there's a whiff of scandal, uh, and it's becoming more of a stench. The Metropolitan Police are threatening more charges in the Partygate affair. It's funny, Tim, when, when this happens, even the tiniest thing can develop into a scandal, that there was a little <laughs> careless Googling by a Conservative MP on his mobile phone, got blown out of all proportion. Yeah. The MP for Tiverton, Neil Parrish, has resigned after being caught twice Ooh. looking at porn websites, once when he was sitting in a Commons Selects Committee and once in the House of Commons chamber. The press demanded an explanation and he, um, he gave them what I thought was a very um, acceptable one. Mm-hmm. The uh, situation was that, that um, I, uh, funnily enough, it was tractors that I was looking at, and um, so I did get into another website um, that had a sort of very similar name, um, and I watched it for a bit, which I shouldn't have done. But my my crime, my biggest crime, um, is that on another occasion I went in a second time. And that was deliberately? And that was deliberate. And, and was uh, that in the select committee or in the Commons chamber? That was uh, sitting, waiting, waiting to vote um, on the side of the chamber. I mean, I don't know whether it's technically chamber or not, really. I think it's a perfectly reasonable explanation, don't you? Tractors could happen to anybody. <laughs> but he's, he's trying to say that his initial search for tractors led him mistakenly to a site with a similar name now, I'd love to hear what these names were because I'm not seeing a lot of crossover between agricultural machinery and pornography. No. I'd like to know the similar, like tractors.com. Mm. Yeah, where do you go from there? But I've also never heard that, that tractors are a kind of a gateway material towards pornography. He's now saying he went back to the pornography site deliberately a second time, having been lured there initially by the sweet, sweet sugar that was tractors. <laughs> is that is that what he's trying to say? I I, I did do a little careful Google research of my own, Tim, and tried all the sort of keywords you'd expect, but I could not. Well, I simply couldn't pull up anything, even slightly risque, yeah. by typing in the word tractor. So maybe this is part of the dark net. I don't know. You know how sometimes you get like an auto-suggest? Yeah. So you'll write one word in Google and it'll be like Australian and then the mm. it might want to prompt you towards population or government or 
Broadcasting Corporation or stupid communists. Hmm. But you just type in Australian and, and suggested terms will come up. I'd like to see what, if you type in tractor, there's bondage gear, you know, SNM babes. What comes up after tractor and what possible overlap and, and, and relationship do these devices have with sex in any form, let alone pornography? Hmm. This is very confusing to a, a simple boy like myself. <laughs> I was about to say farm boy because I, you know, I do have a family that's got a farming background. But no, I keep that one quiet. I don't want to get associated with the the filthy tractor industry. Those people are perverts. I even looked up tractor jokes, and they were <laughs> very disappointing. <laughs> have you seen the movie? That have you seen the movie The Tractor? No. How about the trailer? <laughs> Well, there is such a sport known as uh, tractor pulling. Maybe, uh, maybe that was the uh, crossover with our British pervy politician. Maybe, maybe. But, but there's a possible link there. I don't want to draw too vivid a picture for our listeners, but they can probably work it out. Well, anyway, the Daily Telegraph stood outside his home and were able to report he did actually have a Massey Ferguson tractor in his shed. What a slut! Right under the nose of his wife. <laughs> Getting all diesely with it of an evening. Disgraceful. Oh, the man's the man's got no shame. He's a he's a no doubt. he's a disgrace to politics in general and to, and to himself. Anyway, we've got a watching brief on Boris and his his tractor loving f- <laughs> friends. Probably owns a case or a uh, international harvester. You know, take your pick with Boris. He probably can't remember what tractor he owns. Like he's like the number of children he has. Now, I must admit, I've been so wrapped up in what's likely to happen in the seat of Karangamite that I've missed what's happening in Sri Lankan politics, Tim. Bring me up to date. <laughs> so the Sri Lankan government went a bit woke. They decided that they'd go all in on organic. Now, this is one of the great tea-producing nations of the world. And they decided, let's, uh, let's go all organic, and they banned you know, foreign fertiliser and superphosphate and whatever else. We're going to go organic. Well, within one crop cycle... Everything had gone very, very bad indeed. Uh, now they're, they're having to import basic food and so on. They've got food shortages. Uh, people are complaining about being able to eat only one meal a day just because there isn't sufficient food available. And the Sri Lankans, who have an admirable response to um, government failure, uh, they've begun pushing politicians' cars into the river. <laughs> I think it happened to a senior minister. <laughs> they shoved his car into the river. And, uh, Was the minister in the car? No, they've all got out. They've all... I think most of the government's in hiding now, and the and the, and the prime minister's uh, up and quit. But uh, these people went woke. If organic is a kind of a woke thing, I suppose mm. it is. But and and now um, there's there's fiery riots, uh, cars in rivers, an angry population, and um, a revolution in the air. <laughs> well, it's a crazy <laughs> thing, isn't it? I mean, you just cannot. I mean, everybody knows this. You, I mean, it's just impossible to grow the same quantity of food using yeah. organic methods. I mean, admirable as they might be. I mean, we all, when, I'm not averse to a bit of compost myself, Tim, at times. But yeah, well, it's, got, it's got a sharp flavour. You're not going to feed the world with it, though, are you? you know, and, um, it's, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> they can always harvest bugs. Isn't that what the Greens always want us to do? Like go to, go to bugs as a primary protein I source? I think so. Because the war is on against meat now, isn't it? Some ridiculous idea there. Which you... 
Oh, but man, I found the best meat I found in Curry Curry. Yeah, tell me about it. Little Curry Curry in the Hunter Valley. There's a Main Street butcher shop, I think, called Scott's Fine Butchery, something like that. And this is an upscale butcher shop such as you might find in some of the wealthier suburbs of Sydney or Melbourne. It's beautiful. And I found I, I was... This is a measure of the economic energy coal puts through the area, by the way. A dry-aged mm. tomahawk steak, 0.63 of a kilogram, so a bit, mm. a bit over half a kilo of meat, 42 bucks. Mm. And I was happy to spend that money, my friend. This is a... That's a place to visit. If you're in Sydney or if you're anywhere near delightful curry curry, uh, swing by there over the weekend. Take take a little esky or whatever and uh, so you can keep your, your meat cool over uh, uh, an extended voyage. And just do a butcher shop holiday. It's a, it's a hell of a place to visit. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, you'll be stunned. It's a terrific array. Very, very fine. Well, I'm off to the Shamrock Hotel in Echuca, Tim, for a bit of tucker. They do awesome buffalo wings there. Well, you know, if you can handle them, Nick. <laughs> Let's not talk about that barbecue at your place. <laughs> uh, again, up in the Hunter, I went to one pub for, for a meal and um, lamb's fry. How long since you've had oh, lamb's fry? Oh, yeah, I came across that quite recently, actually. Uh, it's always such good yeah. value, isn't it? Did you? And so tasty. Oh, it was... 12 bucks, oh, right. and it was seriously, I couldn't finish it all. It was lamb's fried bacon, you know, all the usual vegetables, mashed potatoes on. Outstanding dish, your lamb's fry. It crisps up beautifully. It's, it's like the evening meal equivalent of black pudding. It's, it's a stunning oh, yeah. dish. Well, this is, why, this is why wokeness and the associated vice of vegetarianism needs to be stopped right in its tracks, Tim, <laughs> before they come for our lamb's fry. If there's lamb's fry on the menu tonight in Yuchuka, snap it up, man, because the lamb's fry right now in Australia is El Primo. Will do. Now, we'll be back next week. I think we might have Rita Panahi on next week. It would be a real treat. I'm glad we can afford her. That's <laughs> sensational. Put our pocket money together. You can contact us at 6 o'clock school by emailing us at nick at radiobcc.com. Don't forget to give us five stars. That's essential and important to... Uh, persuade the algorithm that we are worth listening to and uh, then it can tell everybody else the same. Tim, nothing, uh, no closing points of business to wrap up or can we call it a night? We can call it a night because I'm eager to go searching for some hot tractor action. All right, mate, all the best. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. How good is Australia? Yeah!